Years ago, I was teaching Sunday school kids, and I said that whoever answers my next question would get something. And immediately, a kid shot up his hand, right? He said, me, 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 me. And I said, wait, I haven't even asked any questions. To which he said, yes, but I know Jesus is always the answer. He did not get that prize, by the way. <laughs> now, many of us are that kid. We know deep in our hearts that somehow, some way, Jesus is the answer that we're all looking for. But how exactly? How is he the answer, not just as a hope after death, but, but for our present situation right here, right now? <clears throat> how is Jesus the singular answer to the whole range of complexities in life? That's what we see in the book of 1 Corinthians because the church in Corinth is a church full of problems, whole range of problems from basic to complex ethical issues. But here's the thing. Every single one finds its resolution in Jesus. It all somehow converges in him, and that's what Paul shows us. He's the answer, and he's the answer that you and I need. That's what we're trying to grasp in this series. Now, the best way I know how to start that is to get right into the heart of the gospel of who Jesus is. What makes the gospel such good news is that God gives us grace first and last. All right, it's not working. Uh, Next slide, please. Now, Paul starts his letter there in 1 Corinthians 1. And I think that's a good place for us to start our new series and our new year as well. So let me read that passage for you. 1 Corinthians 1, 1 1-9. Paul, called by the will of God to be an apostle of Christ Jesus and our brother Sosthenes, to the church of God that is in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints together with all those who in every place call upon the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, both their Lord and ours. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I give thanks to my God always for you because of the grace of God that was given you in Christ Jesus, that in every way you were enriched in him in all speech and all knowledge, even as a testimony about Christ was confirmed among you, so that you are not lacking in any gift as you wait for the revealing of our Lord Jesus Christ, who will sustain you to the end, guiltless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful, by whom you were called into the fellowship of his Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. This word of the Lord. Now, uh, it's a straightforward passage, but it's packed with grace. It's packed with good news. So before I begin, let me uh, just surrender our time, the rest of the time, to the Lord in prayer for us. You may have noticed I have... Something wrong with my voice. I woke up like this. I don't know why. But uh, let's pray that the message will be clear today. Let's pray for us. Father, we thank you for your word that you have given to us through the book of 1 Corinthians. We pray that your message would be clear. Grant me enough voice for the rest of this morning. May your spirit speak into our hearts. Examine our hearts. Search us. And fill us with grace. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Now, it's a straightforward passage, what we just read, but it's packed with good news. It's packed with grace. Now, some of you may be thinking, oh, 
Alam ko na yan, that's grace. I've heard about that so many times. I'm ready to move on to other things. Well, I don't know what to tell you, but I think that's a good sign that you don't really grasp grace yet. Uh, David Siemens, who is this respected Christian counselor, <clears throat> said that after years of practice, his conclusion is that most emotional problems among evangelicals is that they fail to grasp grace. He says, we read, we hear, we believe a good theology of grace. But that's not the way we live. The good news of the gospel of grace has not penetrated the level of emotion. So this morning, let's take another look at grace and let that be the first and last in the year ahead. So from this passage, I want to draw out three things that grace is first and last. It's first and last in our difficulty, in our identity, and our destiny. Now first, in our difficulty. Uh, if you look at the Corinthian church, the Corinthian church is full of difficulty. <clears throat> they were in the city of Corinth, which is this big, bustling, metropolitan city, prosperous, uh, not unlike, say, New York today, which means it's a city that has a lot of good things happening, but also a lot of bad things happening inside that culture. <clears throat> so the young church there was being swayed. And the church was starting to confuse the gospel with the culture. And as a result, uh, a lot of bad things were happening. There was sexual immorality, there were divisions, there was idolatry and greed, and there was just so much confusion, confusion about how to be a church. And it's a huge reason why Paul was writing the letter in the first place, right? And yet here's what I find so astonishing. Because, next slide, here's how Paul begins the letter. He says, I give thanks to my God always for you. What, Paul? Are you serious? Because after these first nine verses, Paul is going to spend the next 15 chapters talking problem after problem after problem. What are you giving thanks to God for? <laughs> are you serious? Maybe Paul is using the sandwich method. You know the sandwich method? You say a good thing first before you say the negative thing, and then you sandwich it with another positive thing, you know, so the person can accept the negative thing easier. It doesn't offend them too much. Is that, is that it? Not really. Paul's not using some technique or method. In the next chapter, he explicitly says, I won't do that. I'm not going to rely on some trick to win you over to the gospel. So what's Paul doing here? What is he giving thanks for? What's the reason? Well, the only reason is because it's true. He's saying, despite the mountain of difficulty and problems that have piled up in your life that stink, there remains something to be thankful for. Underneath, there lies a gold mine of grace. You've messed it up. You don't know what to do. But God has given you grace. And therefore, there's something to be hopeful about. There's something to be thankful about. There's something to be joyful about. <clears throat> now, you may be sitting there and you may be thinking, oh, that's the Corinthian church. That's not me. My life, I don't see much grace. What grace are you talking about, Paul? Maybe you feel like there's just a mountain of difficulties. I had a few this 2024. You feel that there are, there are more trials to face than triumph. 
you feel there are more problems and blessings. There is just more darkness than light. What grace, Paul? Well, the Bible tells us, and here's what I want you to know, that no matter who you are, Christian or not, grace is constantly being poured out into our lives like a never-ending waterfall. Like a never-ending waterfall. You know, I know most of you watch YouTube, and some of you probably know Mr. Beast. He's this big YouTuber guy, and he makes these crazy videos. Sometimes he makes these videos with himself in it. Now, I think it was around the last month, he released a video where he buried himself alive for seven days. He was inside a coffin, and he had enough air, food, water to survive, of course. But it was difficult. I remember watching that video, and as the days went by, Jimmy, Mr. Beast, was just starting to unravel, right? He was getting lonely. He was getting depressed. He was getting, going out of his mind. But he stuck with it to the end. And at the end, when he got out, for the first time in seven days, he saw sunshine for the first time. And then tears just started rolling, rolling down his face. And then he saw the, the outside world. He saw the faces of people. And then he just couldn't stop crying. You see, there's something beautiful and life-giving about simply seeing the sunshine, the clouds, and the trees, and the faces of people around you. There's something beautiful about all that. We just don't realize it because it's always been there. We were born into a world already full of blessings for us, into a world already filled with delight and joy. You know, in, in January 1, I started reading through Genesis, Genesis chapter 1, right? Because, you know, to start reading through the Bible through the year, which I hope many of you are doing. So Genesis 1, God creates creation, then God creates humanity, and then immediately, the next verse after that, it says, and God blessed them. What? Humanity has done literally nothing. They've said nothing, and then God blessed. Do you understand that that is the same story as us? We've done nothing. We've said nothing, and yet God already blessed us from the first. We were born into it. We were born into a world of blessings. That's grace. Every day we are enjoying all kinds of life-giving things, all kinds of joy-sparking things. You know, Jesus says that God makes the sun to rise and shine on both the evil and the good. God sends the rain to fall on both the just and the unjust. That's grace. That's grace for everyone. You know, just try mentally listing down some good things that you had the past year. Right? Just try listing that down in your mind right now. Maybe your family, your friends, maybe some experiences, maybe some opportunities, maybe some people you met, maybe some gifts, maybe some health, whatever that is. Every good thing that you realize comes from above. If you trace it all back, it comes from above. It comes from the hand of the Father giving to you by grace. By grace. There's always grace. There's grace everywhere, and therefore... There's thanksgiving to be made everywhere. But even that is just the tip of the iceberg, right? Because notice in this passage, Paul is pointing out a special kind of grace. 
He says there's a grace given you in Christ Jesus. And in Him is every spiritual blessing bound up in it. It's given to you. In Him is the forgiveness of sins, the redemption, the hope. In Him, every need is satisfied, every hope is met, every longing fulfilled. And we'll look at that for the rest of the series. But for now, let me point out this. Let's see, just as God makes the sun to shine and the rain to fall without any of our efforts, God makes His Son to come and die for us without any of our efforts. And special grace is given to all. It's offered to all. And see, all that one has to do is to simply step out of the shade, you know, to let the sun shine on him, to dance in the rain. And all we have to do is step out of the shade and receive the special grace that is in Christ Jesus. That's grace for everyone. Special grace for everyone flows endlessly into our lives. And so we may feel, ah, oh, you know, my, lo- my life is just chock full of difficulties and problems. My life is this and that. My family is going through this and that. This is my situation. And it just feels overwhelming. We just feel so blinded by the problems and difficulties of life. But grace is there. It's always there. And it's everywhere. Because the gospel is true. And Jesus is yours. And grace is given you. Therefore, you can know there are problems, yes, but there are more blessings. There are trials, yes, but there are more triumphs of grace to be found everywhere. There is darkness in this world, but there is the brightest light in Christ. You know, one great hymn says, when upon life's billows you are tempest-tossed, when you're discouraged, thinking all is lost, count your many blessings. Name them one by one. Count your blessings. See what God has done. You know, there's a book called Growing Up Fundamentalists. And it tells of a group of students in Japan who graduated from a Christian academy. And years later, there was a reunion. And they came together. And here's what one of the students said there. With one or two exceptions, all had left the faith and come back. And those of us who had come back had one thing in common. We had all discovered grace. Have you discovered that underneath that mountain of difficulty that you're going through, there is grace all along? Have you discovered that for yourselves? You know, the theologian Richard Niebuhr said, the great Christian revolutions come not by the discovery of something that was not known before. They happen when somebody takes radically something that was already there. Perhaps for some of us, for most of us perhaps, what we need is not for God this year to miraculously remove the difficulties, but rather for us to discover what was already miraculously always there, the grace of God in our lives, that he's given, that he's offered. Perhaps what we need to discover is that our lives are shot through with grace already, shot through with it, because grace is, after all, first and last in our difficulties and even in our destinies. Next slide, please. 
<clears throat> now, one remarkable thing about being a Christian is that it means something in the deepest parts of who you are. Something fundamental has changed there. Something about who you are, your identity, has been transformed. And that's why I notice how Paul talks about the Corinthian believers. Next slide, please. He says, these people, you are those sanctified in Christ Jesus. <clears throat> now, the word sanctified there does not mean that they are already spiritual, mature people. It's pretty obvious that they're not. But to be sanctified means to be set apart. They are made holy. They are set apart for a special purpose in God's special purpose. Now, if you look back at the Old Testament in the temple, there were certain things set apart. You had some garments and utensils and people who were set apart for a special purpose in that special place. And Paul's saying, every believer in Christ is set apart that way. You've been sanctified by Christ. You've been set apart. You've been made sacred by God for a special purpose. He set you apart. He's made you priestly. He's made you royalty. He has made you his holy people. That is who you are now. You have the highest dignity and you have the highest purpose and the greatest privilege in life. That's your new identity. That's your new identity. So, and the rest of your Christian life is simply learning to live into that identity, right? And so being a Christian means you have a new identity, right? And it's an identity <clears throat> that you received whole from God. By grace, you receive that whole from God. It's not something that you have to work yourself towards to achieve and qualify so that you can say, oh, I'm a Christian. No, it's by grace that identity is yours. You were born again by the will of God, right? It's by grace. And that's why <clears throat> one of the great pastors, someone I look up to, Dr. David Martin Lloyd-Jones, he says he has this question that he used to ask people. If you met with someone pastorally, excuse me, if you met with someone pastorally, one-on-one, right, he would ask, are you a Christian? And he says the answer that people give would say a lot about what was happening in that person. One answer that he would often hear was that the person would say, well, you know, I'm trying. I hope so. And then Dr. Lloyd-Jones would say, mm, I don't think you understand what a Christian is. Because a Christian is either you are or you're not. You're born again or you're not. You have a new identity, you're sanctified, you're set apart or you're not. When a person says, hmm, I'm trying to be a Christian, what they seem to mean is, I'm working my way up so that I can qualify and call myself a Christian. But that's not it, right? You are saved by his grace, not by what you do, not by your works, right? And that's why it all comes by faith. It all comes by faith, by grace, right? The moment you say, the moment you decide to make Christ as your Lord and Savior, immediately that identity is given to you in whole. You are set apart, you are sanctifying Christ. Now, Dr. Lloyd-Jones says, <clears throat> sometimes he would get another answer. He would ask, are you a Christian? And, and another answer that people might give is, of course I am. Of course I'm a Christian. Why would you ask that? 
And Dr. Lloyd-Jones says, oh, that's also a very bad sign. Why? Because if a person is saved, a person is someone saved by grace, then that grace means there's no such thing as being an of courseness in being a Christian because it's all undeserved. It's all a miracle. It's all a gift. It's grace. It's astonishing. It's surprising. It's a miracle, right? See, in both cases, the person who says, oh, I'm trying to be a Christian, and the other person says, of course I'm a Christian, what they both mean is, what they're trying to say is, the assumption is, I have to work my way towards becoming a Christian. Now, the, other, the one person feels underconfident, the other person feels overconfident, but they're both working on the premise that it's up to me and what I do and what I achieve and perform and I qualify to be a Christian. And therefore, I earn God's blessing and all that. Now, most of us are working to some degree in that assumption, and that's why many of us on a day-to-day basis, our sense of dignity and happiness with ourselves, it kind of spikes up and down like a crazy, zigzagging stock market, right? Because it depends on how well I did for the day. That's how I see myself. But see, no, if you're someone, under, if you understand that you are a person saved, not by what you do, that who I am is not because of what I do, but because of what Christ has done, that I am a person of grace, that the deepest part of who I am, the inner you, the real you, is already complete in Christ. Completely accepted, completely loved by God because of what Christ has done. Then that means I can have that stability in my emotions. There's always a background noise of joy and peace in my life. There's a freedom. There's a lightness in me. Right? Because I'm always loved, completely loved, regardless of if I fail today or if I succeed tomorrow. And you know, if you have that identity that's rooted in grace, that kind of protects you from the extremes of whether of your failing or your giftings. Right? Because on the one hand, if you fail, you're not a failure. <laughs> See, the Corinthian believers, they had moral, ethical failures, yes. They had spiritual failures, yes. But they were not total failures, and neither are you. They, you are those sanctified in Christ. You have been set apart, right? You are someone saved by grace. Paul says you're called to be saints. <laughs> on the other hand, you're also protected from the, extreme, from the extremes of your giftings. And when you succeed, you don't think you're better than other people just because you're gifted in something. See, verse 5 says the Corinthians were gifted in all speech, in all knowledge. Two things, by the way, that were highly, highly prized in the Corinthian culture. And Paul says, uh-uh, not even that is just a gift of grace. It's grace. See, if you understand that everything about you is grace, even your success, even your giftings, it's not because of your greatness, but because of his grace, if that is how you understand yourself, then you can stay down to earth. You can humble yourself at the most crucial moments in life when you're most susceptible to pride. Right? Of of all people, shouldn't Christians be the most humble people on earth? Because the core message we believe in 
says that we are nothing apart from the grace of God. We're called by God. We are Christians, not because we're better than other people, but because of His grace. It's His wisdom. It's His goodness, not ours. It's His righteousness, not ours, right? It's all grace. And if your identity is rooted in grace rather than works, rather than me, then failures won't crush you and success won't corrupt you, right? Because the grace of God means that you are saved to the uttermost. Saved to the uttermost. It saves you even from yourself. The grace of God means the waters of grace have flowed down to the deepest parts of who I am, to the crumbs and crevices, to the dark places of my heart, to the deepest cores of my soul, so that I am saved to the uttermost, down to my identity. And therefore, there's thanksgiving to be made. Down to the depths of my souls, there's thanksgiving to be made because grace is first and last even in our identity. And then last, next slide please, grace is first and last even in our destiny. Paul also says our future in Christ is full of grace. <clears throat> See the next, next slide please. He says, even you Corinthian believers, you will have Jesus Christ sustain you to the end, guiltless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. What, Paul? Guiltless? What are you talking about? Corinthian believers, guiltless? Is Paul, Paul's not saying that, oh, you know, Corinthians, what you're doing is not that bad. You're going to be guiltless. No, no, no. Paul's going to say it's real bad. The word guiltless it's a legal metaphor. Paul is saying, on the judgment day, when you're face to face in the judgment seat of God, God will look at you and he will pronounce you just. The verdict will be freedom and life for you. You will be guiltless on that day. What? Even the Corinthians, even you, even me? Yes. Because... The pardon of heaven will not be based on my account, but on the account of Christ. Jesus will sustain me to the end, even to judgment day and even beyond. See, the gospel says anyone, absolutely anyone who steps out of the shade to receive the blessings of grace in Christ freely, anyone who does that will have their destinies and identity and everything about them bound up in unity with Christ. His account will be mine. His perfection, his life and death and resurrection will be mine. I'm united with him. See, Paul says in verse nine, we will be united with Christ in a permanent relationship, like a marriage. See, it says you were called into the fellowship of his son, into that permanent fellowship with his son, Jesus Christ. Our lives are bound up irrevocably to the grace that is in Christ Jesus. That is our destiny in Christ. <clears throat> you know, when I think about my own story as a young teenager, before I came to know knew Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior, I think back to that time. And honestly, <clears throat> honestly, I spent a couple of hours doing this. Honestly, I cannot think of any good reason why God would save me. 
It's true that, yeah, I did not go into any extreme sin, yes, but then I had so much light around me, and my conscience was nurtured and protected as a young child, and I grew up in a Christian environment, Christian school, Christian home. I had so much advantages that every little sin that I did commit was much uglier than the other people who never had my advantages. I am more convinced now than I was then that I am a miserable sinner. Miserable. And yet, God's grace, that did not stop God's grace from flowing down to me back then. How much more now that I am in fellowship with His Son? How much more now? Why would God's grace stop flowing down to me now? Now that I'm united with Christ. If while we were enemies, Christ died for us, and we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, how much more now shall we be reconciled by his life? Surely, Psalms 23 says, surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Paul says in verse 9, God is faithful. Therefore, my destiny, it's been sealed with grace, sealed into the grace in Christ Jesus, and grace shall be first and last with me. You know, where where does this grace come from? How can the gospel make such an astounding claim that God would flood my life with so much grace that it covers over my difficulty and my identity and my destiny. How? Well, Paul makes it quite clear that in just nine verses, he gives us the answer 10 times. 10 times he says, Jesus, 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 Jesus. You know, I mentioned earlier that no matter who you are, Christian or not, God gives you grace through creation. He makes the sun to shine. He makes the rain to fall. You are born into a world of blessing. But even that grace is just a puddle compared to the ocean in Christ. Because what Christ does is he does what we should be doing and he dies what we should be dying. He goes through that so that he could burst open the barriers of sin. And so the floodgates of grace would be poured out into our lives and the waters would flow until the puddle becomes an ocean until our lives are as buried in grace as the ocean floors with water, right? So you can look at the year ahead, 2024, you can look at you know, the mountains of difficulty, you can look at the pressures that of, in your identity, you can look at how uncharted your destiny is, you can look at all that and simply step it all out of the shade and put it under Christ, and you will know that everything finds grace in Him. It's all grace in Him. And all we need to do is go find the answer in Christ. Because everything in him is grace. First and last, therefore, there's thanksgiving to be made. From first to last, in every place, let all God's people give thanks. Amen. Let me pray for us. Our Father in heaven, (coughs) giver of grace, you 
Just let grace flow without hesitation, without any regret, without any bitterness. He's just give us grace. Thank you, Father. Forgive us for the many times we overlook this and we abuse it and we neglect it and we ignore you. But grace continues to flow down. The sun continues to shine. We continue to live in a world of blessing. Father, we thank you for that. We thank you that grace in Christ is sealed into our eternity right here, right now, until we see each other face to face. Father, we thank you for that. Lord, open our eyes to see. We are untrained to see grace. Open our eyes. Train us. Help us to see. And may our hearts be ready to receive and our mouths ready to give praise because you deserve all the glory and honor. May this year, Lord, be surrendered to your grace from first to last and we give thanks to you. This we pray in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, through whom our grace flows down. Amen and amen. At this point, I will invite everyone to a moment of silence and reflection as we look and recognize the grace of God in our lives.